I know, Captain Slog on a Saturday. What's going on here? Well, what's going on is that James Meakin, who regularly listens to the podcast, is running the London Marathon on Sunday, and Deja Q, the episode we're talking about this week, happens to be his favourite episode of Star Trek. So we're putting the episode up early so he can listen to it on his run. If you do want to support James, go to his Just Giving page. It's www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash James hyphen Meakin and that's M-E-A-K-I-N hyphen 2023. He's raising money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably an anti-suicide charity. It's a great cause. Go throw some money in his direction. Well, not his direction, the direction of the charity. Don't go to the London Marathon and pelt him with coins. That 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 should go without saying. Why would you even think that? Anyway, here's the episode. Bye. A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain Slug. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slog, Stardate 60. These are the continued voyages of the podcast Captain Slog as uh, we make our way through all of Star Trek. It's me, Eddie, and Mark, as always. Uh, how you been, Mark? Yeah, doing good. My, uh, my, Laura, my fiance, is uh, she's down in London, so I've uh, I've been by myself most of the time. On Saturday, I got a text message in the morning, or was it maybe on Friday, that said, drop what you're doing and watch all of Picard season three right now. <laughs> so I, I managed to hold myself off. I basically got rid of social media from my phone so that I wouldn't be spoiled. Uh, got up in the morning, went down to the local shop to buy myself a bottle of red uh, and uh, looked at YouTube while I was in the toilet. And needless to say, the thing that was spoiled was the first thing on my timeline from some fucking shitey channel with 460-odd subscribers. And I personally believe that this is... And I won't say what it was, but I personally believe that this is Alexa's revenge for me being rude to her. <laughs> She's like, yeah, you fucking you take that. No, it wasn't. Like, the, the thing that happens, which again, I will not spoil, it, 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 didn't, it didn't lessen the impact for having knowing what it was right okay uh because also uh i fancy myself a bit of a writer and so far there are nine episodes out and i believe there's literally a line in the first episode that made me go oh i know exactly how they're going to solve this problem and the, (laughs) the problem that they are solving is not even the problem that they had at the time but i was like uh, they'll find a way to create a problem that requires this solution. And lo and behold, they did. <laughs> I have to say, if you're if you're putting off watching it like I was because Picard Seasons 1 and 2 were garbage, the first four episodes of Picard Season 3 are so good, I would describe them together as a mini-movie 
I don't think it's unfair to say that it is the next generation's Wrath of Khan. Right, okay, that's... I think the first four episodes of this season will go down in history as some of the greatest next-gen story ever written. Right, okay. And I know Rich Evans agrees with me. Right, okay, I'm going to watch it this weekend, so that's, that's something to look forward to. After that, it's good until it gets to the end of episode nine where you're like, oh, this is great. But yeah, no, good. It's nice to see everyone back. Uh, how are you? Yeah. Oh, um, you know when you like you put something off for a while, and um, you you put it off, you put it off, you put it off, and in your head it like grows into a bigger thing that you think it's going to be, and then you actually deal with the situation, and it turns out to be like minor, like incredibly minor. Is that you talking about your tumor again? No, no, actually, weirdly not. This is me talking about uh, a spot that I've had on my face, right next to my nose, that annoys the hell out of me for, I would guess, at this point, seven years. Um, it's a blind spot, so it doesn't come to a head, so I can't squeeze it. And it just sits there, and it annoys me. And yesterday, for the first time in my life, I decided to Google what it was and how to get rid of it. And it turns out that what you do to get rid of it is you get this little patch thing, and you put it on overnight, and then it's gone. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and that's... Seven years of not liking how my face looks. I mean, more than normal. Uh, no, <laughs> I like your face. It's very inviting. I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's something I welcome. It's not going to do me well in prison when we eventually get down <laughs> for thought crimes. <laughs> yeah, that I have a wart on my left index finger uh, that I have had. I I would reckon I, I the first time I remember noticing it and telling telling someone about it was in sixth year at high school uh so we're going on 15 years at this point uh maybe 16 years and the, the i've tried having it frozen off i've tried freezing it myself i've tried the doctor freezing it the only thing i haven't tried is the the method of wart removal which is apparently bulletproof is to put duct tape on it to suffocate it and then every night take the duct tape off and kind of file it down the problem is it's exactly on a a bend oh right so it would and that takes six weeks so it would mean i have a a, 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 my finger would have to be in a permanently pointed position uh for six weeks now i'm the type of asshole uh and i know that this annoys people because it annoys me and i don't know how to stop doing it when I make a point, I, I tend to point my right hand, my right finger out. I'm very passive aggressive. I'm very arrogant. <laughs> I, I, I like to let people know when they're wrong, even if I think I'm doing it in a friendly way. But that is my right hand, and I've never been able to do it with my left hand. Uh, so I, 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 do, I don't want to be stuck in a position where I've got two pointer fingers going at someone <laughs> at the same time because I, I feel like I feel like I've, I'm on borrowed time for a for a punch in the face. And, and that would almost certainly be the cause of it. So, uh, for the moment, I I have a symbiotic relationship <laughs> with this war and that I feed it nutrients and it feeds me something to be annoyed about if there's nothing else going. <laughs> Doing that with your finger when you make a point, right? Not Trying to not do that is the reason that politicians do that thing that Obama does, used to do, uh, where yeah. you, you... That's... Not that's what you do instead of pointing, and that's a hand gesture that isn't used by anyone in the real world. Because mm. what 
what Obama really was doing there was restraining himself, usually from slapping a bitch. Uh, <laughs> an old white Republican man who just needed a slap in the face. Obama was like, nope, I'm not nope. going to do it. Pull back. <laughs> yeah, this was a spectacular episode of Star Trek. What a, yeah. What a yeah. perfect episode. I I think to pull back the curtain a bit. I usually sometimes I look ahead to see what's coming, and I haven't really been doing that that much this season because it's been nice surprises all yeah. all along so far. And then I turned the episode. I put the, it went on Netflix. I selected the episode, and I saw it was called Deja Q, and I was delighted because this is one of my probably top three of all time TNG episodes. I'd say pretty easily for me as well, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's the best Star Trek episode, but it's definitely the most entertaining. I'd say it's it, it lives on this really weird level of it being the best Star Trek that is also entertaining. I don't mean that disparagingly. A lot of good Star Trek is entertaining, but this has a this is Star Trek is about examining the human condition and this episode might be one of the best for doing that and it's also funny yeah so to, if anybody who hasn't seen it we should mention what it is the plot yeah. of the episode is Q's been kicked out of the Q continuum and he is now human he was he was he was he was made mortal and he could pick his species and in the nanosecond he had to think he said human and he asked to be put on the enterprise so the beginning of the episode is Q arrives naked in midair on the bridge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and hilarity ensues. <laughs> now, what else is going on is that, yes, this would be a problem for the Enterprise crew to deal with that would that would provide hilarious results, but we have major stakes. There is a moon that is mm. falling towards a planet because of some gravitational doodads. And they've got, what, 24 hours to, to save it? Yeah. There isn't really anyone else in the quadrant for them to call, but the, the solution that they have to come up with is essentially to, to move the moon using a tractor to, uh, beam. But I think it's Jordy describes it as it's kind of like an ant trying to push a tricycle. Yeah. And that it's technically correct, it's technically <laughs> possible. But I don't think we're going to manage it. So which Riker, in his most Riker of ways, says, "I take slim over impossible any day." Yeah, it's a great way to look at it. Yeah, I, I I like that. I I I also I don't think we can we I don't think I can exaggerate enough how much this is probably the funniest episode of TNG because this this episode has in it what to my in my opinion is the funniest joke in all of Star Trek. Which is obviously when Q arrives, everybody on the bridge is very, let's say, like, not particularly trusting of Q's motivations, and not particularly they don't particularly believe this story that he's telling them that he's human. Like Data scans him and he comes up as human, and Deanna Troy like registers an emotional thing, but they're like, well, all of those things are things that Q could easily manipulate <laughs> yeah. should he want to, and Q asks the question. What do I have to do to convince you I'm telling the truth? And Worf, with the best comic delivery ever in Star Trek, just simply says, Die. <laughs> <laughs> and 
the reaction to him doing that from Picard and Riker is fucking gold because <laughs> Riker and Picard are both clearly trying not to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> So, Q, he shows up on the Enterprise and and they kind of, they they grill him a little bit on the situation. And he says, well, in the nanosecond I was given to decide, I picked human uh, and I picked here because because Jean-Luc, I I like to see our relationship as friendship. And (laughs) the first thing I'd like to bring up is, do, do you think he does? I I don't know if he does at this point. Yeah. But I I would say certainly by the end of TNG it's not an adversarial I I it's difficult to know because I do think that Q probably finds Picard singularly interesting and challenging. Yeah. But and maybe that's true. Well, I was kind of thinking about it and I thought well I to go on a, on a bit of a preamble, I, I think I've talked about this before. I, I don't think there is such a thing as common sense. I, I don't really think that exists. I mean, on a on a huge scale, it does. Obviously, fire hot heights will make you fall. Those things are common sense. Like those are common, literally, to the human experience. But if you were to take fifty people and put them in a room, even from the same city or the same area, and say Right, tell me something that you think is common sense that's maybe a bit, that's not, don't touch the oven, right? Then go to all, go to a 50 different people and ask them, do you agree that this is common sense on a scale of one to five? You'll find that no, there is no real consensus on common sense. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing in your social group Common sense is essentially a shared opinion of your particular social group, right? Yeah. And I don't think it really really exists on a, on a macro scale. But friendship is kind of the same way. I've been on a bit of a journey uh, over the last couple of years, especially after lockdown, where I've thought, am I... Is my brain working properly? Like, am I... <laughs> Am I some kind of neurodiverse? And I spoke to a bunch of doctors and they're like, yeah, we, there's something there. So, like, my idea of friendship is very particular. You and I like to roast each other, right? I like to yeah. bring up the brain tumour in your head because I personally think that that is hilarious, right? <laughs> now, I have other friends I wouldn't do that with. <laughs> so, friendship means different things to different people. And... yeah. You you can't possibly begin to understand what friendship means to an omnipotent being. Like, you wouldn't go to God and ask him about his best mate, Dave. <laughs> because I'm sure that their relationship is quite bizarre, right? God's best friend, Satan. Just I'm just jotting down an idea for a sketch. God's best <laughs> friend, Dave. <laughs> yeah. What did he talk about? Because... Uh, God, God, God could be given it all because in that relationship, right? If God went round his best friend Dave's house for a for a tin, and Dave asked him how he was getting on, I feel like God would say things like, "The humans are doing climate change and everything, and they're all messing themselves up and blah blah blah." 
Um, and Dave would be like, right, you could literally sort all that immediately uh, with, <laughs> with no problems. The fact that you're bringing this up on the week that you know I broke up with Michelle tells me <laughs> that you are not as invested in this friendship as I am. At it it, it, it what time it, God would turn Dave into a pillar of salt? No, no, God would say, look, I told you it wouldn't work out with Michelle, and I am omniscient, so you should have listened. But- and if anything, <laughs> I did it, because I feel like we're not spending enough time together for you to listen to all my problems. So, Picard, like, Q's relationship with Picard probably is his own perverse opinion of what friendship is. Yeah. Because he's like you are a lower being that I haven't stamped out with my boot and I actively come to visit you on occasion, which is a relationship I have with certain members of my own family. I think a great way to describe it is, like, I I I genuinely consider my dog to be my friend. Yeah. But that's probably, if the dog could rationalise that on a proper level, is probably something that would come across kind of patronising to the dog, <laughs> given the, the vast difference in our intellectual capabilities. Yeah. Right? If, if the dog can understand that, as far as I'm concerned, he, she's my little mate. And, uh, right? you know, it's a similar thing to that, where, like, he's like, oh, no, I like you, Picard. But, yeah, it's it's weird. It's a yeah. weird... Pic- <laughs> I'd say that Q probably views Picard much like a pet. Yes, yeah. I he, I think he views him as sort of a combination of like a pet, a sidekick, and a lab rat. Yeah, like I'm certain that like scientists do develop an emotional bond with the rats that are running through their mazes, and they're like, oh, they're nice. I like them. Good for you, ratty. I was going to say Algernon, but I thought it was too obvious. But <laughs> and so they develop those relationships, and I think that's what Q has with Picard that he finds Picard very interesting. And, and and I also think there is the element that he doesn't say up front, which is Q is well aware that when he becomes mortal, there are people who are going to want him dead. <laughs> yeah. The much. Enterprise is probably the best place to be when that happens. <laughs> yep. Just 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 to continue on on this subject. So obviously Gene Roddenberry is the worst thing to happen to Star Trek. But apparently this episode was originally going to be essentially the same setup, but with the Klingons coming to kill Q rather than the, the Calamarians. Oh, right. And it would have turned out in the end that Q was just messing with them for shits and giggles. And Gene Roddenberry vetoed that. He said no. He said, I, I get it, it's a good idea, and it's very funny because they wrote it as a comedy episode. But he said, no, this is a, this is a great story he said if you're going to do a story godlike and brought to earth then do it yeah do a story about what it's like to lose everything that you are and having to discover your own humanity that's great what i love about science fiction is is this is to get really fucking like up my own ass for a bit but with science fiction good storytelling is about exploring the human condition and what you can do in science fiction which you can't do in other forms of storytelling is you can introduce a control group. You can change your variables around. Like, well, these are Klingons. They're a bit like human, but we've changed X. What does that look like? And like, then you have data. Oh, he has no emotions. So then to get Q and go, right, godlike being has to deal with being human. And the person that Picard chooses to assign to, to him to best explain this to him is data. 
and that's fucking wonderful. You could not have made a better choice. There is not a single character in this you could have paired him up with that would have been better. Data and Q, someone who desperately wants to be human, talking to someone who wants anything else other than human, is uh, talking about how good it is to be a human, is is peak Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I, it's... It's so good they, because they, they they bond a bit. Like Data basically nearly sacrifices his life to save Q for no other reason than Data, I assume, ha- doesn't have the emotions to find Q annoying enough that he would be glad that he died. <laughs> yeah. And because he thinks it's the right thing to do. Yeah, and then because <laughs> of that, Q... The episode ends with Q basically committing suicide, but it's kind of like a noble sacrifice that if I'm because the the Enterprise can't put its shield can't do its tractor beam stuff on the moon with the shields up and it can't take its shields down because the Calamarain keep attacking so Q's like oh right I'm going to nick a shuttle yeah sacrifice myself so that'll get the Calamarain off your back and you can focus on trying to move the moon and then another Q turns up and is like oh it's a selfless act in it so um I can't and I like his, his explanation is, oh, I'm going to have to give you your powers back now because if I have to go back to the rest of the Q continuum and tell them that you committed a selfless act right before I let you die, there's going to be endless questions. So, no, I just have to give you <laughs> yeah. your powers back. The, the, the ending of this episode is one of the finest moments in the history of Star Trek. It, it is. Because if, if you haven't seen this episode, you've seen clips or stills from this episode because after Q gets his powers back Picard is on the bridge the the ship's the shuttle he's in is gone and he's like oh I guess Q's probably that's the end of Q and then Q appears and says oh contraire mon capitaine and appears with a mariachi bat (laughs) (laughs) right I'm going to ask a question apparently John (laughs) Delancey found it really difficult to mimic the trumpet playing because he wanted it to be accurate but he couldn't I guess remember the beats and the steps okay uh, I also like the fact when that happens uh, he he shows up with a mariachi band and then he magics uh, uh, first of all two cigars into the hands of Picard and Riker and then two women like around Riker to, to clawing on him and that. The women go away but the cigar doesn't and I'm like Riker is definitely keeping that cigar for a later day. Because I bet it's I bet it's a fit cigar. I like that Riker goes, oh, I don't need your fantasy women. Bearing in mind that there was an episode in season, I think one, where he got seduced by a holographic woman. But Q does yeah. mention that because he's like, oh you've changed since you grew the beard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I also look. Okay, I, I want to discuss something here: the nightmarish existence of those mariachi players. So, are there, is that is he simulating mariachi players, or did Q create life? Like, did he will into existence free sentient beings whose only purpose is to play mariachi music until such time as Q gets bored of them and ceases their existence? That. What fleeting glimpse of reality did those did they experience? That's my question. I definitely think it's that. <laughs> I, 
Because I think that's what we are. We are a bit that God has come <laughs> up with to annoy his friend Dave. And as soon as Dave sits him down and has a bit of a chat with him, we are, we're gone. We're blipped out. Great. That's, yeah. Because the thing that everybody that always worries me is that the universe could have just started existing just, just like just now. Yeah. And it could end like in a second. And I, I wouldn't, at this moment, I wouldn't know. Uh, <laughs> You wouldn't know. I mean, it's 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 Plato's uh, allegory of the mariachi, isn't it? Like how, like those mariachi players—that's all they know. That's what they think existence is—is is playing mariachi band, music yeah. for other people. I mean, maybe if at one point one of them had stopped and then asked, just turned to Troy and said, "Why?" This would have been a very different, much darker episode. Did he invent the mariachi players, or did he get them from elsewhere and then put them back? That's my question. Has he, like, booked them for a gig? And they've come in, and it's like, yeah, it's just an omnipotent being has turned up. Because he can go back in time. He can time travel. Can he? Yeah. So he could have turned up, like, booked that mariachi band a week ago, knowing he's going to need them. It's like, all right, I need you to be on form. I need you to be mariachi for, oh, maybe two minutes, and then I'll be mute, put you back. And they were all like, or... Yeah. Like I say, the fleeting existence of creating life, because it's nightmarish. And I agree that the the noble art of mariachi is going to be alive and well into the twenty fourth <laughs> century. Still doing weddings. It's the new done thing at your wedding. I, I we we wanted it, but but it's it's a lot of fun. So maybe that's what he told them. He told them it was just a wedding. There's a captain. This guy Reichel's getting married to these two chicks. <laughs> That's why he didn't question anything. Mariachi bands just got so um, every year the Library of Congress like puts new things in, and they always choose twenty five audio recordings that have cultural significance. And one of yeah. them this year was a, a recording so old it's just called Mariachi Band Recording zero zero one. Right, and and also the Mario theme tune. <laughs> Yeah, oh, uh, and, and uh, Carl Sagan's Pale Blue Dot. So that's a, a mixed bag of a year that went in. <laughs> but, but did you uh, did did you see the Mario Brothers movie yet? Not yet. I'm going to go see it. It's, uh, it's a lot right, of fun. But is it as good as the 1980s Mario Brothers movie? I want to say good. I mean, for a very specific use case of good. I'm not. <laughs> it's there was quite a lot of. Um... It it, it 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 made me think two things. It made me think, one, I am getting so old that there are now iconic parts of Mario ephemera that I have no, like, like reference for because they happened in, like, 3DS games or something. <laughs> like, he gets, like, a, a cat suit, like, literally a suit that makes him a cat, and there's an ice, an ice fire flower that I'm not particularly aware of. I remember at one point seeing something about Mario being able to turn into a penguin. And this isn't a dig on, on the youth of today. Like that's If you enjoy those, that's that's great. That's good. I, I, I don't think Mario will ever achieve perfection over Super Mario World. I, I think that game is perfection on a cartridge. But there, but, but there was something about it. But, but it is literally made up of... Um, uh, South Park refer to them as, as member berries, but 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 it's a lot of just going. Oh yeah, oh I, nice. I get I get that. Yeah, I understand that reference, and it, and it's very much geared because I get, the kids are going there to enjoy the colours, the dads are going there for the seventy five percent of the storytelling that's just 
do you remember <laughs> this thing? See, my, well, I've seen the trailer and I do have a slight problem with it, which is that the, the, the Super Mario Brothers movie has a bit where they are using go-karts on Rainbow Road. Yeah. That would be a Mario Kart movie. Mark, that's not that's not Super Mario Brothers. Mario Kart is a separate entity, right? Why does Bowser go racing with them? If you're going to say that these things all happen in the same universe, it's fucking, it's madness, right? <laughs> here, here was a thing that I said, because Donkey Kong is like a major player. He's a, quite a major character yeah. in the story. Um, and I never, and it's the Donkey Kong Country one, and I never really associate Donkey Kong with being a Mario character. He feels like he's just a Nintendo character that is attached to Mario by virtue of them both being Nintendo. But if anything, he's he's the first. He's the first Mario-supporting character. In fact, Mario is his supporting character in Donkey Kong's Look, own I'm, game. Look, I'm not going to go over things that we all know. We've all read the instruction manual to the original Donkey Kong. But Mar- Donkey Kong yep. is Mario's pet uh, monkey who escaped... After he was, and uh, we're going to use the exact word used in the uh, in the instruction manual, abused, right? <laughs> so, right. Also, I've I've checked multiple times, and there is no record in Japan, Italy, or America of um, Mario having a license to practice medicine. So, right, take <laughs> take that, right? Because I, I I personally. He does in the Mushroom Kingdom. I, I, I have the belief that Mario's the bad guy of Mario Kart. Because like, if you think about it, Mario comes into the kingdom. There's all the defences are there. The only royalty we meet in this Mushroom Kingdom is King Cooper, a.k.a. Bowser. right? And the only other royalty we meet, Princess Peach, who I'm going to assume is his wife. Right? What Mario's doing is he's going on a rampage, killing all of Bowser's citizens and destroying all of his infrastructure to kidnap Peach, right? And then do unspeakable things to her. Because in Mario Sunshine, uh, Cooper Jr. says that Peach is his mum, and Peach is like, doesn't deny that. So either, like, so she doesn't deny that and she's okay with it. So either that's like from a loving relationship or she's super casual about an interspecies rape baby, right? So all I'm saying is, and yep. then if you think Mario's the bad guy and he's kidnapping Peach, suddenly the rest of it makes sense. Like Cooper gets a phone call from Mario and says, "Oh, do you want to go go karting today?" And Bowser's like, "No, you fucking madman, you do." <laughs> and he's like, yep. "Well, if we're not going go karting, guess what I'm going to do today?" And it's like, "Yeah, he has to do it to stop him from raping Peach." That's <laughs> my belief. Wow. Yeah. Uh, have you seen the movie After Sun starring Paul Mescal? Uh, no, uh, it's good. It's very, very sad. Uh, but uh, I think that we should make a version of After Sun where Mario and Peach go on holiday to Isla Delfino, <laughs> and the whole movie is just them sat in their hotel room uh, while Mario is waiting for Peach to finish having a shower so that they can go out for dinner for the evening. And he brings up the fact that when Bowser Jr. said that she was his <laughs> mum, she didn't deny it. And just a just a harrowing ninety minutes of 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 Peach obviously becoming more upset that Mario doesn't trust her because I'm sure her comeback will be well obviously that that isn't the case no way a hard little shell is going to come out of this but Mario can't take that because he lives in a world of living mushrooms yeah. he he he's just a simple working class plumber from Brooklyn he doesn't know these things and. 
I, I, I think it would lead, quite frankly, to the end of the, of a relationship. Quite a beautiful relationship. But... Where do you stand on the, the Mario voice, then? Because this is something that I've been thinking about a lot. Because Mario's Italian voice that he's added in the games, the grandfathered in racism of the Mario caricature of the Italian man. He's not yeah. Italian, he's from Brooklyn. He's from Brooklyn. He's like he's not even he's not he's not mentioned to be an immigrant at any point in his backstory. He's Um <laughs> I believe that the I, I believe that Nintendo's official stance on it so this so Shigeru Miyamoto is an executive producer on the Super Mario Brothers movie, right? Uh, which made me think, oh, there's base, there's nothing that can be in this that he disagrees with. Yeah. So two things that we get, which are uh, which I thought were always a bit contentious, but I guess Shigeru Miyamoto has said, oh no, that this must be the case because it's in the movie. Is number one that they consume the power ups by eating them, and number two, where exactly is Princess Peach from? Why is she a human who is princess of the Mushroom Kingdom? <laughs> is that addressed? Is she from Brooklyn as well? I, d- I don't want. Do you want me? Yes, it, that is addressed. Um, yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, what it, What it means is it's, it's one of these situations where it raises a lot more questions than it actually answers. Okay. Because it makes you wonder: uh, Is there a human couple in the in the real Brooklyn? desperately searching for a baby that went missing. Is this what happened to Madeline McCann? Is what it asks. How good would it be if in 15 years' time a giant turtle a giant turtle invades Brooklyn in order to take over with his minion of of super turtles and our saviour is Madeline McCann's boyfriend. She is blonde. I'm just going to say our saviour being Madeline McCann's boyfriend does mean that our saviour would be obviously some sort of paedophile. Uh, <laughs> I love that before we started recording this episode, you said it's great that we've got an episode of Star Trek where we're going to mainly talk about the episode during the recording. And <laughs> 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 we've just done a solid 15 minutes on Mario rather than, you know, the charming what does it mean to be human motif <laughs> developed. All right, to, to bring it back, are there games on the Enterprise computers? Because that Brig officer seems to be pretty bored just sitting there doing well, nothing. Well, he's, he's trying to look bored because every time you see him, an officer's walked in. So he's pretending he's not playing Gallagher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah, no, fair enough. Because I'm sure the emulation capabilities of the Enterprise's computer are... I, like, I'm sure you can get GameCube to run no bother. Yeah, I imagine that. I imagine it, it probably can even emulate uh, Final Fantasy VIII really well, which is, like, notoriously tricky. Mm. That's why eight doesn't get remastered, if you're wondering. It was a difficult build. The architecture of the PlayStation 1 and 2 were, were complicated and weird. <laughs> right. When Picard comes to see... Q and he's been in the brick for a while and he describes sleep in the, the terrifying way that it actually would present itself to a non-sentient being, to a being who hasn't experienced it before. He's, he says my body stopped functioning possibility I lost consciousness for several hours and he basically describes sleep as terrifying. And Picard's response is to say, you get used to it? Implying that at some point Picard remembers being terrified of sleep. <laughs> Maybe that's why babies don't sleep very well. Like, 
Because there, there is that thing, right, where where there there probably was a moment where you went from non-sentient to sentient, or, or non-self-aware to self-aware when your memories started yeah. kicking in. Um, I, I think I can vaguely recall what it was. My earliest memory is pretty random, which makes me think that, oh, the reason my brain saved that is because it was such a fucking adrenaline <laughs> shock. And it, and it was literally on the sideboard of my... Uh, uh, oh, uh, sorry, not the sideboard. What's what's the thing that runs along the bottom of the floor uh, or the, on the wall? What's that called? I keep yeah, forgetting. I know what you mean. Skirting board. Skirting board, right. The first house that we ever lived in, on the skirting board, when they'd installed it, they'd... I don't know if they let the the apprentice do one of them, but on one of them they just like really badly stapled it into the wall, and the staples made a really bizarre shape, and that is the earliest memory that I have, and it's very clear, and I don't know if it was just because that was my brain, you know the way that they say that like oh sexual fetishes and and stuff like and, and like that stuff will be locked in before you're like aware of things, yeah, because it's your brain making a wiring that it doesn't quite make sense. I think that's what that was. I think that was my brain being wired into, oh, I'm going to be a guy who complains about things that don't really matter. And then, boom, it was like personality selected. (laughs) This is Mark. But babies, obviously, when they're very young, like that must be terrifying for them. (laughs) They're they're crying, there's their mum's boobs. Um, and then all of a sudden, woof, they're gone. And then, oh my God, they're back. What happened? Why has time They don't even changed? have object permanence. So as far as they're aware, whilst they're asleep, they cease to exist. It's, when you think about it, sleep is terrifying. So I, I, I remember uh, something I saw years ago. It might have been an XKCD. And it was about how humans are a naturally curious species. They always want the answers for everything. And somebody, and the response was, we lose consciousness and hallucinate for eight hours every day. And no one knows why. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered if, like, when, when, if we ever make alien contact, I don't think the human race is quite ready for the differences that we are going to have. Because all we can go on is ourselves. We are the intelligent ones, right? We are the ones that have the bodies that are uniquely formed and uniquely perfect for making tools and, like you say, being curious about about the, the universe and our place in it. But you know how on the Avatar planet, everything has a USB <laughs> socket for other animals to plug into? Yeah. And we're like, that's fucking weird. What, how did they evolve that? The aliens are going to come down here and they're going to go they're going to go to Joe Biden and they're going to be like oh hi it's nice to see you blah 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 and they're going to talk and they're going to talk for like 8 hours and then Joe Biden is just going to fall asleep and that's going to panic them they're not going to understand that and, and when we do, and when we tell them oh no basically everything does that here <laughs> they're going to think it's the the fact that you think Joe Biden would go for 8 hours rather than like maybe 15 minutes without a nap <laughs> <laughs> No, but yeah, it's it's one of the weirder things about if if nothing else in the universe needs to sleep, sleep is going to be so weird to explain. Like just to be like, yeah, everything on Earth, literally everything on Earth does that, and they're going to be like, well, why? They go, oh, well, because it gets dark. <laughs> you can't do anything, so you want to conserve energy, I guess. We get a, we get physically fatigued and. We take in so much information during the day using our senses that the brain has to decide what to delete and and what to keep. 
And so we get a kind of bizarre slideshow of that, of the brain asking our subconscious, yeah. keeping this? <laughs> keeping this? No. Keeping... Oh, yeah, save that one. That'll be a thing. That'll be a nightmare that they'll remember forever. Yeah, that'll, that'll be a trauma that will haunt him for the rest so of the days. So what does Q dream about on his first time sleeping? Because all of the experiences that he hasn't catalogued entirely in his brain are... I appeared in the bridge naked, they put me in some clothes, and now I sat in the brick. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's it, he just dreamed about being in the brick. <laughs> yeah. I, I love I love Guinan's response to meeting Q, which is just to stab him with a fork. <laughs> yeah. That's quite a it's also quite a space age fork. Yeah. Now I know that the point of Star Trek is that it has to be so it's almost sort of futuristic, right? But what is so wrong with the fork design that we have to change it? Yeah. Now I say this like like the way a boomer would describe a rotary phone that that's a perfect method of communication. <laughs> Why did we have to move on to mobiles? Like, no, of course, of course, we can always redesign and perfect the fork. What if you and I went into cryogenic stasis and we woke up in a hundred years and the only thing that, because of warfare. And, and and bigotry and, and disgust among the human race. The only things that had changed is that someone had perfected the fork. <laughs> now, you see, the thing is, I don't know if it is boomery because the fork in its current form has been around for as long as it has so perfectly. Like, yeah. it would be weird. Like, for example, I, I, I a personal irritation for me is I don't understand why we as a society, and by we, I mean people who serve food, decided that after fucking centuries of use, the plate suddenly wasn't good enough, and now I need to be served my fucking chips on a chalkboard uh, that was once used by a small child to learn to read. I don't understand why that's an improvement over fucking plates, right? Or serving me... There's a place in London that does a fried breakfast on a fucking shovel, right? And they can fuck off. (laughs) Right, I, I don't... I I know I know that the, the response to this is uh, we want plates. Right? <laughs> I personally wish the plate would die, but not for the reason that you might think. I am an ardent supporter of the bowl. <laughs> I think there hasn't been a food stuff that isn't made more perfect by being served in a bowl rather than on a plate. And I don't just mean your cereal bowls, right? Because they're specific for cereal and soup. That's what they're for. That's great. I'm talking about the ones. That are flat on the bottom, but kind of they have walls. Yep, got them. Uh, I've to got keep them. Keep things enclosed. Best thing in the world. Uh, yeah, I, I very, very, very rarely does dinner in this house come on anything other than them. Put, you can fit a pizza in it. It's we, just fine. We perfected plate technology. Why? Why? Why are we? Why are we getting fancy having flat edges that things can just yeah, fall off? If on? stuff can fall off the edge of the thing you're eating from, it's poorly designed. Especially because you had to carry it from wherever you made it to wherever you're going to eat it, and nobody can afford a dining room. Not in not in 2023. So fuck it. You're going to eat that on a sofa. Do you need walls? I'm with you on this. I'm 100 yeah. percent with you. But still, better than you know a fucking chunk of wood, right? That you've just sat a yeah. steak on and go. There you go. I feel like you. Oh. Or, or the other one that they do, which is a really small cast iron skillet. Yeah. You can buy them in Lidl. <laughs> and it annoys me no end. What's that, who, what's that for? Like, don't get me wrong. 
I like that it's bowl shaped, <laughs> and I like that they have innovated on the bowl shape by providing you with a handle. But there's no, but that no, because you're communicating an idea to me that I don't like. Just just put handles on <laughs> bowls. Yeah, that's. I'm glad we got to the bottom of that problem. Why are there not handle large flat handled bowls in Star Trek? Those would be the innovation of the future. Exactly. I like when uh, Q doesn't really understand what his internal workings are, and he goes to ten forward with Data because again, this is the perfect pairing. And he says, "I'm hungry. What should I have to eat?" And Data says, "Well, it's really a personal preference. I I can't remember what Data says, but it's something very mechanical that has like motor oil and things in it." And Q asks him, "Do you think I'll enjoy that?" And Data says, "Well, no, not really." Because that's purely a, 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 a functional thing. It, it lubricates my joints. However, I know that you're feeling pretty sad. And I know that when Councillor Troy feels sad, she has chocolate. So maybe a chocolate sundae. And Q says, well, I'm very hungry. I will have ten chocolate sundaes. <laughs> the, the, the person behind the bar, who isn't Guinan, kind of gives him a look, pops off. Guinan then comes in, stabs Q with a fork. It then turns to that person behind the bar and the other bar guy holding a tray of five Sundays each, and the look on their face is perfect. Like, oh, we just had to do all this in the replicator. <laughs> uh, they, they, they give a kind of Flintstones, it's a living <laughs> situation. Well, well what, what are you doing with it? I mean, because you, I can't imagine that... Because, like, the thing about 10 Forward, right, and I love the idea of 10 Forward, and I love the idea of uh, the, the post-scarcity society, etc., right? But... Here's the thing. What what you lose in a post case of the society is the ability to walk into a bar and say, shots on me. <laughs> because that is no longer like a good thing or a nice thing to do. That is an obligation for everyone else to take a shot or look like a dick if they don't. And you can't just go, we have ten Sundays here, does anyone want one? <laughs> maybe, maybe some people will come again. But people will feel obligated and then they'll be eating an obligated Sunday which is the second worst type of Sunday after banana. Well, I thought you were going to say bloody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's because the thing is, it's like ten chocolate Sundays is a weird order for a human, but that might be like something that like one of the booleans on the ship regularly eats because of how they metabolize yeah. chocolate differently. Who knows? But <laughs> yeah, they come in sniffing away on the little the little coke. Yeah. Uh, platform. Uh, uh, the usual, please, Guinan. <laughs> what What would be your usual? What, in 10 forward for a thing that can yeah. serve literally anything? Yeah. Are that flaming sambuca? Fuck it, live a little. <laughs> Mine would probably just be a pint of, pint of asphalt. Uh, I'm... I'm, I'm I, I'm I'm quite I, I am quite I, I like tasting things I like eating things I like eating right I'm far from a from one of these pill people I enjoy that that say oh if nutrients were available in a pill and I didn't have to eat I would have that but I I am a man who who can eat that this like when I first moved to London for about a year and a half every single dinner that I had was chicken chunks lightly seasoned on boiled brown rice with a microwave bag of like broccoli and peas and shit and that and that's what i ate because that that it, it was dry as fuck right <laughs> right because <laughs> i'm not really a sauce guy but i i think my usual genuinely like, like i often think about like the last meal 
when when we when we go to Florida and and, and there's uh, and they look at my Facebook and there's something pro trans on there um, <laughs> and that gets me the death penalty. And uh, two weeks later, when I'm when I'm being allocated my last meal, I, I genuinely think I'm going to be like, I know what I want. It'll be a it'll be a, an XL double cheeseburger from Burger King. Yeah, with Burger King fries, KFC gravy, and McDonald's mozzarella sticks. Because I I think there's there's no issue in my life that can't be solved by that combination. Like I, it's not the best food in the world. It's it's annoyingly expensive, but by God. <laughs> I have never been unhappy while eating an XL bacon double cheeseburger from Burger King. And I've given it my best. <laughs> I've given it my best try. I've walked in crying. I've walked in after breakups. Um, but by God, there's something about... Oh, can't get enough of it. I might, I might have one for dinner. <laughs> even though I'm gluten intolerant and really shouldn't anymore. <laughs> Back to the episode. I do want to talk about one, la- one last thing, which is at the end of it, Q's got his powers back. He's given everyone cigars. But before he goes, he he gives Data the gift of a laugh. Yeah. He he makes Data laugh. Now, I can't work out whether that's really nice or incredibly cruel. <laughs> well, it is, it's a callback to something, right? Like, they, like when, they're talk, when they're walking through, when they're west-winging, when they're Aaron sorkening through the corridors of the... Yeah. Of the Enterprise, Data brings up. Uh, I think he says like that's the number one human thing that he'd like to experience, or, or, or something yeah. to, to that effect. That that seems pretty good. Like like no one laughs unless it's a pleasurable experience, which I I disagree with. Uh, the nervous laughter is 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 quite a horrible thing yeah. uh, sometimes. But yeah, because it's bizarre, isn't it? Because like, but then like laughter. Like, laughter's actual purpose. Um, I read a full book on this one. It's called The Naked Jape by uh, Jimmy Carr and Lucy Walker, I think. It's a great book. It's all about, basically, the history of, of jokes and the history of humour and, and kind of where it all comes from. And laughter, uh, as, as far as, I guess, sociologists can agree, is about a release of tension. That's why jokes have set-ups and payoffs. Yeah. Because the setup makes you tense because you don't know what's going to come next, and then the release of tension is, oh, it's the thing. It's why, but but there's different types of laughter. That's why dark jokes work. It's it's unexpected. To to say it's cruel to give data just a laughter, from which a laughter just just I guess releases dopamines and serotonins and and, and such. Would it matter that it data? got the result of a thing that he wouldn't necessarily be able to understand anyway i i, I think the thing is do you know what i mean the the, the thing for me that would be is, is the, the difficulty i have with it is that if i was incapable of feeling emotions and i could then it felt laughter once in my life and then would never feel it again I'm trying to process that as an emotional being because I, I then go, well, that would make me feel very sad that I never got to feel that way again. But for Data, obviously, he doesn't feel that. He would he would just file it away as like interesting information, which he wouldn't feel bad about not getting too involved until he gets that emotion chip put in in the movies. Yeah, there is. I, 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 at the age of about 14, uh, I decided to myself... 
one day I'm going to have an orgasm so good that I'll never improve on it. <laughs> and rather than spend the rest of my life chasing that dragon, I'll just I'll just stop. I'll just join the, the Catholic <laughs> priesthood. And I, and I think Data would see it in the in the same way because he, although he does like because regret is a human emotion. Yeah. So his his whole thing about wanting to be human, as far as I can see it, isn't necessarily about wanting to experience things in the now as a human. It's more about the curiosity of what is. What is it to be human? What does it mean? And then when he has that information, he can kind of put it away and be like, I had those experiences, they made me feel human, and now uh, now I get it. Yeah, because he does I specifically think. stay in this episode that he does have humans' curiosity, yeah. which is, so that's a part of his programming, and knowing that that's been programmed into him is, it helps make a lot of sense of a lot of data's views. Because obviously... All through TNG, you get a lot of data like pontificating on what it means to be human, but I don't think you ever get it as clearly explained as it is in this episode because he's yeah. having direct conversations with somebody who is, I need someone to explain this to me, which is interesting. Yeah. And I, I like the fact that like Q doesn't have to have... I like that he retains his intelligence. Yeah. Because he mentions he's got like an IQ of 2005 or something. Like He knows everything. Except for how to function as part of a team. <laughs> yeah. The, the the little bits where he is trying to function as part of a team, because the thing is, at, at one point, the, the, so the, the moon the moon falling into the planet, which, you know, if you're thinking, oh, they should be talking about that, don't worry, we're about as concerned about that as the actual people on the Enterprise were concerned about it while Q was on board, as which was, when it's convenient, we'll bring it back up. Yeah. But he... He's he's in engineering and he's like, oh, I can solve this problem. It's easy. Just change the gravitational con, con, uh, yeah. constant of the universe. And Jody's like, oh, great. Is there anything you could suggest that we could actually do? <laughs> and he's kind of a bit put, put, a put back. But then uh, Data is like, actually, I don't think that's impossible. I... I think we could change the gravitational concept of that moon, which would make it a lot easier for us to push. Yeah. So they have to extend the warp field out, which makes, which somehow makes the um, the moon a lot lighter. This is the problem with the Calamarians, is that they can't have the shields up while they're doing that. Yeah. So, it, like, okay, from a physics point of view, the warp core must function by bending space-time and moving the ship outside of the universe and through... That's how it must work. So that means if they can extend the warp core, they're doing the same. So it is essentially a pocket universe. So that does make sense yeah. to a degree. I, I, so yeah, it's 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 it would work technically, but it's one of those ones like you know how like Superman has on multiple occasions had to say to the Justice League, "What if I move the Earth out of the way?" And then Batman's had to be like, "Look, I can't." Yeah, I can't. I don't have enough time to explain everything that's stupid about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then eventually Greenlander goes, "What if I made a big harness around the Earth that Superman could pull?" And Batman's like, "Okay, yeah, technically that would work." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, 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 one thing I love about this episode, one thing I love so much about the character of Q is what Q's first thing he does when he gets his powers back, which is. He puts himself in the first thing he does is he puts himself into a Starfleet uniform with the rank of Admiral. 
<laughs> oh no, it's captain. It's four. Points. Oh yeah, he just immediately yeah. makes himself a captain because he's wanted to join the a queue. The sorry, the crew, yeah. and has been told no because, like, I think that they should. They should at some point said that you can join Starfleet. You just have to go yeah. to Starfleet, <laughs> Starfleet Academy, if that's what you want to do. Uh, <laughs> Surely be happy, have you? For <laughs> the worst recruit ever. <laughs> yeah. Other thing, I really like the second Q who turns up. Who's also called Q? Yeah, and yeah, he's a great actor. Um, he's in Psyched. Uh, so he's in Psych, which is a TV show about a uh, expert detective who can't explain why he's so good at being a detective without looking really suspicious. So he just pretends he's a psychic. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard about this. It's yeah, a great show. But excellent. Yeah, this is really good. I'll put Star Trek. You should watch it. This is phenomenal, Star Trek. Yeah, I this this is one of the ones I would recommend to people if 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 they didn't have enough time. Yeah, if yeah, if you want to just watch one episode of Star Trek, this is I'd say this is when my in my top three. It's this Measure of a Man, and I can't remember the name of the episode, but it's the two parter where there are four lights. Oh yes, yeah. that's, that's my favorite TNG triumvirate. I know it's technically four episodes because one's a two parter, but fuck off. Yeah, fuck it. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Good app. Give it a watch and uh, probably see you next yeah. week. Bye. Bye. The Captain Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at Real Mark O'Neill and Eddie is at Ed Edwards Comedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog. <laughs>